0: So yeah, we're finishing this series on Advent, uh, watching and waiting, and um, uh, this really what we're looking at today is a prayer for revival. Uh, he prays, "Oh that you would rend the heavens and come down." Um, I like the NIV translation rather than tear open uh, that that. Verse 1 of of chapter 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Uh, This whole chapter is is a prayer from the prophet um, Isaiah, crying out for God uh, to bring revival and renewal. It's like the carol that we sing. uh, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Isaiah's praying, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And it's appropriate for us to uh, look at this before Christmas, a week before Christmas, because uh, at Christmas, that's exactly what God did, didn't he? He, he rend the heavens and he, he came down. Uh, you see, Christmas is the answer to Isaiah's prayer. God, Isaiah prayed, rend the heavens and come down. And what did he do at Christmas? He did exactly that. Uh, Like we sing in the carol, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. And so Isaiah's praying for this revival and renewal, oh that you would rend the heavens and come down. But it didn't happen straight away, did it? I mean, if you if you know the old if you know the story of the Bible, that was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Uh, even as uh, Katie was saying this morning to the kids, that that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Isaiah said that hundreds and hundreds of years before Christmas, where the light of the world actually came, and and that's the whole reason why this series is called Watching and Waiting. Uh, because Isaiah was still watching and he was still waiting for God to rend the heavens and to come down. And so uh, I want to ask this question, what, what is revival? Uh, I said this is a prayer for revival. Uh, what is revival? Well, Oxford Dictionary, uh, it says, Revival is a, an improvement in the condition, strength, or fortunes of a people. In other words, for Isaiah, things were just getting worse and worse and worse until he just couldn't bear it anymore. And he cries out to God, oh, that you would rend the heavens. Come and do something, Lord. Things are just going too crazy. Found this article uh, during the week on the New York Times. Uh, the, uh, it's by a guy, Max Fisher. Uh, and his title is, is the world really falling apart or does it just feel that way? And here's how He begins. Uh, has the world entered a time of unusual turbulence? Scanning the headlines, it's easy to conclude that something has broken. The pandemic, accelerating crises from climate change, global grain shortage, Russia's war on Ukraine, political and economic meltdown in Sri Lanka, a former prime minister's assassination in Japan and in the United States, inflation, mass shootings, and a reckoning over the riots on Capitol Hill. Uh, this week we could add the, the crazy um, rise of crazy conspiracy theories. Uh, we could add to it the, the, the huge um, rise in political polarisation. There, there does seem to be a growing sense that, that things are falling apart, whether it's r- religion and society, uh, culture, politics, uh, media, morality, mental health. Uh, I've been saddened to see in the post... Uh, uh, stories about the um, rise of eating disorders in, in Curtin. Anorexia, binge eating, ah, uh, all these eating disorders. Our local MP was looking for, for extra funding. I mean, you don't have to look far to, to get this sense that that things are falling apart. People's mental health is falling apart. Media, things seem to be falling apart. And, and you know what? We've been here before, and Isaiah was there in the olden times when we look at this reading from Isaiah 64. And so it's in that context where things feel like they're falling apart that he prays, that he prays for God to come and do something about all this mess. And so this morning we're going to be looking at three things. Why do we need revival? What is revival? And how do we get revival? Revival. So firstly, why do we need revival? Uh, does anyone know the second law of thermodynamics? I'm, I'm not much of a physicist. Someone in uh, the 730 service was. Uh, he didn't correct me afterwards, so I think I've got it right. Uh, look, it, it's this. It's that when things are left to themselves, they go to more and more disorder and decay. They, they, when things are left to themselves, they run down and they run out. Um, and really, that's... That's why we need revival. That's true of the people of God. I mean, if you like, it's the law of spiritual dynamics. Um, And and throughout their history, the people of God had had amazing experiences and amazing encounters with, with God, spiritual highs. You know the phrase, mountaintop experience, Well, that comes from the scriptures. Uh, Abraham had a mountaintop experience. Moses had a mountaintop experience. Elijah had a mountaintop experience. But but after all these experiences, they they just seem to tend towards spiritual declension and spiritual decline. And so this is how it is for the people of God in Isaiah 64. I, I hope you might have it open in front of you, page 606. He says... Uh, of himself and the people, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. See, the people of God were supposed to be the light of the world. They, They were supposed to radiate God's justice and mercy and goodness. But here is Isaiah and he's lamenting we've become unclean and all our righteous deeds, all of our best is like a filthy cloth. Do you notice how he includes himself in the problem? Even Isaiah even the very best seem to have this inbuilt tendency towards decay and, and decline, no matter how high the spiritual high is. And, and this happens individually, and it happens in societies. And so I was reading from the historian Michael Haken uh, this week about um, England in the, in the 18th century or early 18th century, end of the 17th century. And, and this is what he says about England at that time. Um, it, we witnessed a de- Distinct decline in public manners and morals in England. In 1701, a Baptist um, theologian asked the question: Was ever swearing, blasphemy, whoring, drunkenness, gluttony, self-love, and covetous at such a height as this time here? This is in 1701. Uh, he, uh, Michael Haken says that around this same time, it was a time when pornographic literature multiplied almost unchecked. This is 1701. And Selena Hastings, a woman who lived in the middle of the, uh, around this time, uh, she says it was an age when atheism was fashionable, sexual morals lax, drinking and gambling at a, such a pitch that has never since been equaled. Well, we've probably equaled it since then, but she was writing in the middle of the 18th uh, century. Uh, And so we've been here before. Uh, And and this was true of the society uh, in Isaiah's day uh, in England around the 18th century. Um, But it was also true in the church around that time. This is what he says. Uh, He says that the bishops were first and foremost politicians in other words, they weren't pastors, they weren't caring for people, they were politicians. And one historian wrote, there is a worldliness about 18th century bishops which no amount of apologetics can conceal. This is the way it was even in the church. And as I is saying, this is how it was amongst the people of God. And so he wants God to come and do something to bring cleansing. But you know what, it was even true of, of the clergy, of the, of the pastors, of the spiritual leaders and William Cowper was a, was a clergyman around the time. He was a famous uh, hymn writer and poet. We still have some of his uh, works, many of his works uh, today. And he felt that dynamic even within himself, even though he, he knew the Lord. And here's, here's how he put it. it. It was never put into song because uh, perhaps it's too confronting or, or, or too difficult. But he wrote a poem and he says, Where's the blessing I knew when I first saw the Lord? Where is the soul's refreshing view of Jesus and his word? I hear, but seem to hear in vain, insensible as steel. If aught is felt, tis only pain to find I cannot feel. What peaceful hours I once enjoyed, how sweet their memory still. But they have left an aching void the world can never fill. This is what Isaiah is feeling for himself and, and for his community, for the people of God, that he would, God would come and do something about it. And so even the best have this tendency towards decay and decline, and that's, and that's why we need to keep on crying out for revival. That, that's why we need revival. That's why we need God to show up and to come down. So that's why we need revival. But what is, what is revival? Well, I think if you look in in Isaiah's prayer, revival is very simply whenever God rocks up. Did you notice the repetition of your presence, your presence, your presence in verses 1 to 3? Have a look. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. Uh, Often in the scriptures, when God rocks up, uh, there's an earthquake uh, and the mountains shake. Uh, So this happens most famously on Mount Sinai when, uh, you know, Moses goes up the mountain to receive the law and, and there's an earthquake. It says in Exodus 19, the whole mountain trembled violently it seems that when God rocks up, there's an earthquake. It happened at Pentecost in our second reading. They're praying that God would rend the heavens. And it says at Pentecost, there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. And then later when they're praying in chapter 4, it says the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. There's another verse in the Old Testament up on the screen. It says the mountains quake before him, the hills melt the earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. So why do the mountains quake? Has God got something against mountains or, or, or something like that? Why, why do the mountains quake? Well, think, think about it for a sec. Mountains are seemingly the most immovable, immense, eternal objects that we can possibly think of. They're not going anywhere, but compared to God, they're nothing you see that? When God rocks up, they just melt away because he's more powerful than mountains. He's more immovable, more eternable, more immense than mountains. That's why the mountains melt when God rocks up. And, and in, the, in the New Testament, it's, it's the coming of the Holy Spirit that causes this, this shaking. Uh, and so people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and throughout history, people have had this experience of the presence of God coming to dwell inside of them by the mighty Holy Spirit. And they experience a shaking. They experience fire at the presence of God in their lives. And so I want to give you a few examples of of people who have experienced this throughout history. Uh, People like Dwight Moody, who who lived in New York in in the mid-19th century. And he had been praying and praying for more of God. And and while he was walking uh, the streets of New York... He says this, suddenly God came down in a way that I've never forgotten and I started to experience so much love poured, being poured into my heart that I had to ask him to stop. Spurgeon has said this before too about their prayer meetings where, where they couldn't bear it anymore, that they had to ask God to stop for the love and the glory that was poured out upon them. In the middle of the 16th century, have you heard of Teresa of Avila? Or Avila, she she was a she was a mystic in the 16th century. She wrote a, a book called The Interior Castle. She had the experience too. She says the consolation, the sweetness of the light, was incomparably great. This prayer was a glorious foolishness, a heavenly madness. I was bewildered and inebriated in His love. My soul desired to cry out and was beside itself. It could not bear so much joy. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. That's Teresa of Avila. Then there's Blaise Pascal. He was a famous philosopher, he was an intellectual, he was a mathematician. And, and after he died, they found in his, in his coat, they found something that was sewn into his coat uh, at his heart, that he kept uh, at his heart for the, all of his days since it happened. And it was a diary entry Uh, of what he wrote down when he had this experience of God rending the heavens and coming down, and and he kept it with him, and they found it in his coat. Here's what it says. In the year 1654, on Monday the 23rd of November, from about uh, half past ten in the evening until an hour past midnight, fire, in capital letters, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not the God of the philosophers and the learned, Certainty, emotion, joy, peace, joy, 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 tears of joy. My God, will you ever leave me? Let me never be separated from you. This is revival. What's going on here? This is the earthquake of God and the presence of God, a personal earthquake. This is fire. Fire. That's what Isaiah's praying for in, in verse 2, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil. This is what happens when when God rocks up and the presence of God is poured out upon his people. But there are two really important earthquakes that I skipped over in the New Testament uh, and they're in the Gospel of Matthew. They're at the end. They're in Matthew chapter 27 and Matthew chapter 28, the climax and the pinnacle of the story of Jesus. Can you remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? He cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46 uh, verse 50, it says, Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. You know what was behind the curtain, right? That was the Holy of Holies. That was where the presence of God dwelt. And the curtain was torn in two to symbolize the coming of the presence of God. And it says the earth shook and the rocks split. Why? What's what's going on here? Why was there an earthquake when Jesus hung on the cross? It's like I said, this is the presence of God. This is the presence of God, and yet with an important difference, this is God coming not to bless, not bringing the blessing of God, but this is God bringing the justice of God. Do you know why the world is falling apart the, the bible 's very clear about why the, the reason why the world is falling apart, the reason why our bodies are falling apart, the reason why everything is breaking down is is because of our our, our sin because of our rebellion. You, you know how when you've got a really good sports team uh, that has a really bad manager and everything just falls apart and, and the whole team just falls apart? Well, well the Bible says that's what's happened with, with, that's what we've done with the world. That's what's happened. We, God had it under really good management. But since we've put ourselves as the manager of our own lives and of everything, that's why everything has started to fall apart. We've rejected the manager and And that's the reason that things are falling apart. Tim Keller writes, The justice of God on sin is the reason why life is falling apart. But on that day, the day that Jesus hung on the cross, at that hour, the entire justice of God, the weight of the earthquake of God's justice, fell upon one person's head, the Lord Jesus. With terrifying and crushing weight, the earthquake of God's justice fell upon Christ as he hung on the cross. Cross, And how heavy was that? Jonathan Edwards asks, well, how much does God's omnipotence weigh? And Jesus took it all on himself, on the cross, bearing the curse and the justice of God. That's why there was an earthquake as Jesus hung on the cross. But there was another earthquake. Three days later, it says in Matthew 28, verse 2, on Sunday morning, suddenly there was a violent earthquake. What's with all these earthquakes? For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Why, Why was there an earthquake on Easter morning? Well, just as the justice of God created an earthquake in old times to show that he is more powerful than mountains, that he's more majestic than mountains, so now on Easter morning, the spirit of life creates a deathquake to show that he's more powerful than death. He was shattering the power of death and breaking it once for all. Paul says the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. In the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, he talks about this. There is a deep magic since before the dawn of time. And Jesus Christ, by taking the earthquake of God's justice upon himself, because he was shaken so thoroughly, it means that we will never be shaken. Because he was completely broken on the cross. It means that we can be unbreakable in the face of whatever faces us, including death. That's why there was an earthquake. This is what the experience that Dwight Moody had on the streets of New York. This is the experience that Teresa of Avila had while she was praying. And the experience of Blaise Pascal from 10.30 at night until 12.30 midnight. This is the earthquake of the presence of God coming upon his people. And it's the core of revival. Revival. Jesus says, because I was shaken, you will always have life. Because I was broken, death cannot break you. I was shaken so that you could be unshakable in the face of death. This is eternal life. And it happens for all who put their trust in Jesus. But how do we get revival? Well, the short answer is to ask. If if you look at chapter 64, verse 7, the problem is very clear, according to Isaiah. He says, there's no one who calls on your name. No one who calls on, there's no one who asks. And the reason no one asks is because they've forgotten who God is. Verse 4, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, a God like you who works for those who wait for you. It's a simple equation, really, in this verse. It's it's our key verse for for this series. We wait And God works. That's the equation. Get your attention there. We wait and God works. Here's what Charles Spurgeon says. Whenever God determines to do a great work... He first sets his people to pray. I love that there's a mountain there. Jesus says, you can say to this mountain, be cast and thrown into the sea, and if you believe it, it will be given to you. The mountains of mental health disorders, the mountain of eating disorders, the, the mountain of political and cultural and educational breakdown and economic breakdown. You say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea, and it will be thrown to the sea. And so whenever God determines to do a great work, he first sets his people to pray. That's what they were doing at Pentecost. They were together waiting when the sound of a violent wind came upon them and they were filled and there was a quake in their spirits and they were thrust out to change the world and turn the world upside down. It's it's what they were doing in chapter 4. Remember the story of the Apostle Peter and John? They they were put in prison and they they gathered to pray in Acts chapter 4 and it says after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And spoke the word of God boldly. Um, there's a story of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. They were. Um they cast out a demon from this girl, remember, and the guys were all upset because they weren't going to be able to make money out of her anymore. So they, they put them in prison, and it says that, that they were about midnight. They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaking. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. how do we get revival a god who works for those who wait for him that's what they're doing they're waiting and i hope if there's one thing you've gotten away from this series it's that waiting is not sitting on your couch watching netflix what waiting is not going to play golf Or just going, all right, God, I'll just go do this while you get on to it. No, waiting is praying, is looking, is watching. It's focusing on him. And that's what they were doing when God rocks up. No wonder Isaiah prays, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Let's take a moment to do that now. In the quiet of our hearts, let's let's pray. Let's pray talk to him. Look, there's no formula here. Prayer is just pouring out your heart to God. Jesus says, come like a child. A child isn't like thinking about whether they should say this or not. No, a child just blurts it out. It's beautiful. And Jesus says, come to me like that. So let's take a moment to pray. It could be your confusion, your doubt, your hopes. Where's the blessing I knew when I first saw the Lord? Where's the soul's refreshing view of Jesus and his word? I hear but seem to hear in vain, insensible as steel. If aught is felt, tis only pain to find I cannot feel. What peaceful hours I once enjoyed, how sweet their memory still. But they have left an aching void the world can never fill. Jesus, you say that whoever comes to me and drinks what I have, streams of living water will flow out of them unto eternal life. And so we pray that you would bring that water and that refreshment to us, Lord. Help us to see, Lord, that because Jesus was shaken on the cross, we can be completely unshakable. Pour out your spirit upon us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing.